Hey, this is Reza. This is Sandy. Welcome to the Stone Cold Sober Podcast. Thanks for stopping by. Welcome to the 118th episode of the Stone Cold Sober Podcast. It's good to be back and recording on Sundays. Yeah, yeah, it feels weird uh, recording early because there's so much that happens in the last, you know, I guess since the previous recordings. In this case, it's almost been three full weeks. Mm-hmm. So we've both had a lot going on. Now, just to really get into it, or I guess maybe before we even get to the main topics, in episode 116, I think, you told us that you were going to be ta- uh, taking uh, taking part in a, in a race. Yeah. And you said you were going to give us the update once once that was finished. So to keep with the trends, why don't you tell us how, how you did? So that was the Shamrock 5K. Uh, and it was, it took place, and no, it wasn't the Shamrock 5K, I'm sorry. It was the Washington Heights Blue Salsa 5K. This race took place in Washington Heights, which is in like near the 169th Street on the west side. And uh, for those of you in the city, you'll know that weekend subway service is really uh, just unreliable would be the word I would use. And that day was no different because the train that I needed to take, the one train that would sort of allow me to get there, you know, slowly but surely, uh, was not running as it normally doesn't. Really? Uh, Yeah. So I had to take the N train, or the, rather the R train, a local yellow line, uh, and then take that all the way to Times Square, which took about 30 minutes uh, of just like like stopping like every 10 blocks. And then from there, I had to transfer to the 1 train, because I think there was something wrong with the 2-3 or something, and that's to the 1 train to 169th Street. So it took me about an hour to get up there, and that was back... When, like, that was a week of good weather, but there was that random smattering of, like, freezing weather. Uh, so that's how I had to deal with getting there. Took about an hour, uh, get there, it's freezing. Like, people are spitting on the ground, and you can see it's starting to freeze. Uh, like, a lot of people spit uh, around the street. It's just, like, frozen blocks of ice, which is great. <laughs> it was only a 5K, so that was sort of the good news going in. Right. And... The started out, it was, I was told that it was going to be the hilliest 5K I've ever run, and they were not wrong about that. So it starts out with a gentle incline, and then it goes, it's sort of like, there's a first hill, I remember, and you sort of tapers out a little bit, and then you take a second hill, and it sort of goes like a deep uh, downhill, and then you sort of bank up and to the left again in a circle and you come back it's near the cloisters which is a great little european museum if you ever get a chance to go but when i was making my way to the first mile marker the eventual race runner was already on his way back it's crazy like he was flying i think his pace that day was like a 410 404 pace wow yeah like a 404 mile <laughs> wow he yeah, was like, he was done fi- within fifteen minutes. He was he was already getting yeah. breakfast. Yeah, he was done. Um, and 
So I'm making it, I'm running, and the first mile I'm running, I'm thinking, man, why am I so out of breath? And I thought to myself, wait a second, like, you've done this before, you've run a race before, the jitters are, the race day jitters are always going to be there, you know, you always have that little bit of extra adrenaline going, but calm it down, you know, remember your form, remember your breathing, and so I started to slow down just a little bit to sort of get control of myself. Okay. Um, and people were flying past me on the downhills because I think people were just sort of letting loose the engines in a sense. Yeah. Uh, which is fine. Uh, but I was able to find sort of like a, what was it called? Like a pace setter for me. And ironically or coincidentally enough, she was the same pace setter in a race I'd run two weeks prior. Um... And if she wasn't, she was wearing the exact same outfit as someone else. <laughs> I remember. Uh, it was like these like zebra leggings or whatever, and like a like a pink top or a pink race sort of jacket. I was like, yeah. It's like how what are the what are the chances somebody is wearing the same thing, same build, same speed? So I I used her for about half a mile just to get my bearings set, and then on the downhill I was like, all right, if I'm gonna let loose just a little bit, you know, I've gotten I've gotten everything back under control. Let loose a little bit, felt good, took the inside track on that circle around the castle. And on the when, when it started to hit the uphill again, uh, <laughs> took the uphill, people were starting to slow down pretty, uh, pretty significantly. And the hills on the back end of the course, for some reason, people were just, felt like people were just trudging. And I was able to beast past people on the uphills. Yeah. Um, yeah, I basically decided, you know what, I will let... I will uh, coast down the downhills from here on out um, and go, like, maybe 80% of my speed. Um, and other people are trying to go 100% of the speed, but they can only go on the downhill. But I'm maintaining, like, an 80 to 90% uh, capacity, even on the uphill. Like, I'm pushing harder on the uphills than I am on the downhills. And I was able to blow past a ton of people. And it was definitely my fastest, uh, my fastest time yet. Uh... It was, uh, I think it held that it was really cold out as well. Did it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, Do you find reason, Okay, go ahead. No, I think the reason why that is, um, is because you feel like you're not overheating. At least for me. I see. At least for me, I don't feel like I'm overheating. Yeah. I struggle, I feel like I struggle to get a full breath of air when it's when it's cold like i feel like it, it's hard to maintain my breathing <clears throat> maybe uh i also think that it helps because you you've been acclimated towards the cold weather for a while like you're not just like getting off the, the train yeah that's then, true and then just running immediately so you definitely uh you definitely get a chance to just get acclimated that's true yeah, I mean, I even noticed just on my walks, I, I walk outside, it's freezing. The first, like, 10, 15 minutes, I'm, like, wrapping my face in my scarf to keep my face warm. And then, like, the the last, like, 10, 15 minutes I'm out there, I can pretty much take that scarf off. It's just fine. I'm surprised so, that you run with the scarf. No, no, no. no. This, well, this is just a walk. Like, this is just oh, walking okay. around during the day. Gotcha. Yeah, so, I mean, the race started for me at 9.05, and I was done by 9.30. Uh, I ran the 5K in 25.11, 25 minutes, 11 seconds, so my pace was 
Nice. Um, fastest race that I've done so far. What's funny is two of my friends were already done, and they go, "Listen, we'll be done earlier than you. Our breakfast start time is predicated on how fast you can finish." So I use that as a bit of motivation because I knew that they also were training for the New York City half, which is being run right now. I just saw them and they finished and they ran pretty decent races. Nice. uh, Considering uh, like the terrain, the conditions and their sort of where they were in their training. Is there still some like snow or ice around? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the, but the streets are clean. Um, It's just on the, on the sidewalks and whatnot. Yeah. But still. Yeah, so I, I I finish the race. I see them sort of huddled there. They've got like the uh, like the uh, sort of a the, the the heat blankets type of thing, you know, like those really thin heat blankets to yeah. trap heat. And they go, listen, we gotta we gotta train for a long run. So why don't we let's just see how we feel after this? And the good news is, when you travel from downtown up all the way uptown to Washington Heights, like Washington Heights is basically at the top of the hill, right? Like Manhattan gets higher the the, the more north you go. Okay. So on the run back, it's all downhill. It's like flat to downhill. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of uphill uh, spots, but it's predominantly downhill. So we just start running. We start at 169th and go, you know, do you want to run by the water so there's no stoplights? Or do you want to just run down Broadway or Amsterdam or whatever it was? I think it was Amsterdam. And I go, listen, it's 930 right now. Um, why don't we just run? Because like no one's out yet. Um, why, why don't we just run? So we just started running, and uh, they were running. Like we were sort of running th- uh, three abreast of each other. But then I sort of ran ahead of them because I felt like it was more important for me to be ahead of the two faster guys so I could sort of cap their pace. <laughs> make sure um, they're not going too fast. Make sure they're not going too fast. But what ended up happening was I started setting the pace because I started to really find my stride. It's crazy. The, the 5K, I ran it with my toes frozen and my feet numb. Um, that's how cold it was. I couldn't feel my feet. Yeah. And I only felt my feet in the run after the race. So we're starting to run, and I'm starting to feel like my body's starting to really open up and warm up. So I really start to do some interval training, like run really fast and then slow down towards the end of the block, run really fast slow down towards the end of the block, and we ended up running. The idea initially was to run to 100th Street and then take a cab and go back. But from 169th Street to 100th Street, that's already 69 blocks. We're like, well, we're basically already there, like almost halfway there. Why don't we just keep running? I was like, all right, fine. You tricked me. So we we ran to 72nd Street. Uh, start to walk because we didn't really want to run right to the door of the yeah. restaurant. So we ran to 72nd, the Smith breakfast, obviously, for our, all our uh, contestants playing at home. Uh, mm-hmm. It's on like 66th Street. So we ended up turning what was a 5K into a nine mile run. Wow. It felt great. And the good news is, this is somewhat similar to what the Brooklyn Half will be, which is. A little bit uphill in the beginning, and then downhill out of the park, out of Prospect Park, all the way to the end, to uh, Coney Island. So, the nine miles that day felt good, um, and I didn't, like, blow out a knee, and I didn't feel like I was dying by the end. Like, if at, at the nine-mile mark, if you told me that was race day, and we needed another four, I was like, I guess we're doing it today. Like, it, it would have been the worst thing in the world. 
Yeah. So right now what I'm doing training-wise is fewer long runs, but more interval training. So every day on the sub, uh, subway, every day on the treadmill right now, I'm doing like quarter mile at four and a half on the treadmill, like a nice light jog, right? Mm-hmm. And what I'm finding out is when I'm jogging, I'm a toe striker. I'm almost like jogging on my toes. And then for the first half mile, I will bop it up to about 6.6, 6.7, which is my standard speed, standard pace. And then I go, okay, that's half mile. And then for the next uh, quarter mile, I bring it down to four and a half again. Never stopping to walk, just down to a trot again. And then the next half mile, I'll go to seven and a half. And then after that half mile, I'll bring it back down to four and a half. Following a half, I bring it up to eight and a half. And then nine and a half for the last. So it's like a four miles, but it's like interval training. And I'm yeah. telling you, man, my 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 quads are my quads have been shot this week. It's it feels really good to feel like just the quad area, like feel like they're on fire. Yeah. And rolling them out post run is a uh, never a nice feeling. <laughs> I'll tell you that. But the, the race is good. The race is good. And I'm happy I ran it. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. So far, the training has been good. How uh. How was St. Louis? St. Louis is great. Um, Talk about it. Yeah, so I flew out on uh, Sunday, the, what, the, two weeks ago, Sunday the 5th. Mm-hmm. And so I got there at like 10.30 a.m. Uh, local time. There's an okay. hour difference between these. So, um, yeah, I landed yeah, about 10.30 Central, or so. Right? Yep, exactly. And... I was able to rent a car. Speaking of which, I need a I need a email my advisor about getting that expense, and I, uh, I I drove over to Yaron's place. So, for those listening, Yaron is is an old high school friend of ours and a former college roommate of mine. So Yaron and I go back like big way back. time, big time camper, <laughs> and not of the outdoor variety. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, just yeah. strictly gaming wise. Yeah, yeah you're, I've known Yaron for like. I guess it's been like 13 years or so. Wow. So it's been a minute. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. And so we, uh, first, first, so he just got a puppy. He just got a, a Corgi. And so that thing, that thing is super cute. Did I, did I show you any pictures of it? Yeah. Well, I saw it on your, uh, your snap. Okay. Yeah. I took yeah. a few like random pictures and stuff, but I pretty much only sent them to Lena. How but that, old is that puppy though? It's only a couple of months old. He only had it at the at the point that I arrived. He he had only had it for like four or five days. Okay. And the I think it was like two to three months old when he got it. Gotcha. So, you know, still going. He's still he's still potty training it. Uh, and the thing is just super super small. Yeah. Your Yaron kept saying like how much he grew in the last week. He had bought the thing a, a a little bed, and he's like he fit you know. The bed was too big for him. He was quite snug in it. And a week later, when I was leaving, he's like, that bed is way too small for him. And so he wow. went. we went out to PetSmart on my last day, and we bought this uh, massive bed for him. But so, you know, you pot- potty training it. Potty training is difficult for, for dogs, I think, and especially when you live in a city. So you're on losing the 15th floor of this building, and I think it was too young to have its shots so he basically had to use the bathroom 100% indoors 
to avoid, okay. you know, getting any uh, any diseases outside from from other dogs who may have not been vaccinated. So, you know, trying to trying trying to train trying to train it indoors can be a bit of a task, because like basically you use these doggy pads, uh-huh. and and basically you are supposed to kind of reward it when the dog goes on the pad, and you don't like you don't like punish it if it doesn't go on the pad, but you wanna you wanna associate using the bathroom on the pad with, you know, a treat, good behavior. That's exactly what you're supposed to be doing. It's not too difficult. Like the, within like a first day that I was there, he was always going on the pad and maybe would just kind of trail and miss the, the, uh, because he was too close to the edge. But otherwise, otherwise it was great. Or he, he was great with the potty training. Um, so, so yeah, first day, Sunday, we didn't really do too much. I got to his place we, I think we went out to get food. And then after that, we came back and we just hung out indoors, um, like in his apartment. Mm-hmm. He was telling me about, oh, so this, I did find this a little weird. He he lives, I guess, in like the business district and that yeah. place shuts down on the yeah, weekends, dude. dude. Yeah. It's like where I live. But like to the point where businesses don't even open on Sundays. Yeah. There's really? A lot of places, a lot of places here are closed on weekends. I never, because all the, all the like Wall Street's not here. Maybe it's because you live in New York City, but I never really get that vibe when I'm around you. Your when I'm around your your area, and maybe. I think I think maybe it's because I'm also never really around on the weekdays. I've only come around on the weekends, so there's like mm-hmm. the tourists who are checking out Wall Street in that area, like you know yeah. the World Trade, because I don't really see the actual workers around. Yeah. But a lot so, of people, a lot of friends will will uh, will complain that. You know, it's super dead downtown. Yeah. Uh, and for good reason, because um, all of the volume of any sort of business uh, isn't there. So it's either like a few places will obviously be open, but not as definitely not as much as, say, uh, a weekday. OK, so so maybe not as weird then as, I, as I initially thought. And I guess when you don't have the tourist traffic, it can right. it, it, it certainly is not going to feel alive. And like I, I would just get that sense by being in the parking garage. So he he has a parking spot in his parking garage, but through his complex or uh, I guess through his his lease arrangement, there's a um, an adjacent hotel to his apartment building, mm-hmm. and he can get complimentary valets um, x times amount or x times a month. I think he gets like seven to ten for free a month. Wow! So basically, since I was taking my car out all the time, you know, throughout the week, and he just works from home. He parked his car up with valet, and he he let me use his parking spot. And I can tell just on the weekdays the parking lot's like jam packed every day. Yeah. And then on the weekends, every single spot is basically available. So yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, business is shut down on the weekends. He's in a luxury high rise, right? Yeah, it's pretty nice. Um, how many floors are there? I think there are twenty four floors. the The top floor is the penthouse area. Which they don't actually, I don't think they rent out. They have like this, you, well, like they don't rent out for someone who's, who lives there. It's kind of like a lounge area where people yeah. can come hang out. There's a rooftop balcony. Sure. And then uh, you can rent it out for private events. Yeah. So pretty standard. Yeah. Cool. Uh, um, so, the, so, so the reason why the trip was great for me was being able to spend time with my lab and actually get into interact with some of the newer people who joined the group that I haven't met yet or that I've only met 
you know, once or else on Skype. And so I went in on Monday, had a couple meetings throughout the week and got to talk, talk with my advisor as well as some of the other people about like my, about my projects. I guess, I guess the, the, the big thing was when it comes to my lab mates, I see them on Skype, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't actually get to have any one-on-one conversations with them outside of like email, like face-to-face. We generally don't meet to have one-on-one conversations on Skype. Maybe I've done that once or twice since they've left, so that it's quite okay. rare. And being able to just kind of have the day-to-day just banter, just the, the office talk, so to speak, yeah. with the other people there was great. Maybe you guys should create a Slack channel. I literally did. Uh, maybe I need to reshare it. I should reshare it. I, I made one um, before everyone left. I shared yeah. it with them. So everyone left January of 2016. I made it in November or December. And I and and every every week we always have a lab meeting where or every week or two we have lab meetings and one person presents their work and progress updates and such yeah. for about for about two hours. We have two hours dedicated to that. And Jesus. <laughs> It's, it's not like two hours of straight presentations. It's usually around like maybe an hour, an hour-ish of slides that you're showing. But a lot of times people have questions, they have comments, then the little discussions happen. So it's super informal, uh, mm-hmm. but it's something you have to prepare for. But at the end of this meeting, I, pres- I, I, showed, I showed them Slack because when I did my internship, however, I guess in the summer of 2015 yeah. in Seattle. Many right moons be- ago. Yeah, right before I left. They they had created a company Slack channel, uh, Slack, and yeah. so uh, we were using that. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool, right? And so yeah. I found out it's free to make. So I just made one for our group. It still exists, but it's empty. It's dead. And and uh, I shared it during this meeting. And then my advisor goes, oh, that's that's interesting because where they're moving to, they have a they have a Slack like that. I don't know if they use it though, but I should I should reach out again and just show it to them. And be like, hey. Yeah. Just a reminder. I should this just. Is, I'm just gonna invite new them. hotness. Yeah, I'm just gonna invite them. That was the thing. I think I gave them the choice. Kind of. I was like, oh, if you're interested, shoot me an email. Right? No, I should just send them an email. And just invite yeah. them. That that'll be it. I mean, you've seen sort of how it works with our Slack channel. Yeah. It's just banter all day, and you decide when you want to like jump in. Yeah. Exactly. It's super like. It's actually super silly, but super low key. Like there's there's no important business going on in the main Slack channel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All 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 important business is being done inside side Slack channels. Yeah. Even uh even in in Seattle at Sage, there was a Slack channel that someone had created. He he would basically do these cookie cookie experiments. He would bake cookies and he would have batch A, batch B, and sometimes batch C. And he would do these little experiments. And it was kind of interesting because I think the way he would present it was as if, like, I think he was really doing more social experiments than anything. He would, like, say, oh, what's better, A or B? Or which, like, do you think A and B are different? And then on, like, he would have different methods of surveying. So on day one, he might just have a piece of paper and a pencil there. And you just have, you know, side A, side B. He'd say, which is better, A or B, right? And then you would just put a tally. That would be it. You wouldn't even put your name there. You just put a tally mark. And then, uh, as as soon as like there was a majority, like for A, like if if two people put A and one person put B, 
someone might come in and see that too for A, and they'd be like, yeah, I think I'm going to go with the majority. I, I, it, they were really similar, but I think I'm going to go with the majority. And sure enough, A wins out like 10 to 3, right? And then he would send like these emails at the end of the day and would say, here, you know, this was interesting. I probably still have the emails, to be honest. He, but he would basically say, this like... This dude sounds super weird, dude. <laughs> no, it's cool, because, like, the, the whole company, there's a lot of statisticians there. And... Okay. I think the general idea was was explaining or, or like, kind of... I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it was, like, a, I don't know if he necessarily had a purpose, if it was something that he thought was fun. I think he liked to bake. Being weird. So I think, I think he liked to experiment with different recipes. Yeah. But at the same time, by making it relevant to a bunch of statisticians, you can, like, in terms of surveying and finding out who, what do people think is best, and then sure. having these biases or these... Yeah, you're uh, tracking live biases. Yeah. Sort and, of happen in, in real time. Yeah, and you're also, like, conveying, especially to, like, the younger interns, granted there were only, like, two or, two or three of us at the time, but still, how, yeah. how um, poor surveying methods can affect your results, like even if there's not necessarily a bias that you're presenting in terms of how you present the data, the information. Let's ask a real question real quick. How many cookies have you, did you eat? Uh, I, you, so I, wow. I don't remember how many wow. I had total. I don't know how, how many I had total. Inhale. The first day I probably split an A and B with somebody. So okay. total one. And if there were like, if there were three, I might have like half of one, half of another, and then just a, piece of another because it was just a lot like these weren't massive cookies but at the same time I wasn't trying to eat three cookies in one day so you make it sound like eating three cookies in one day is an abomination I mean if he's doing it like he, he would do it maybe like once twice a week so it wasn't uh -huh. like super it wasn't super often and throughout the whole like three months that I was there he probably only did it like four or five times okay so right. it wasn't it wasn't like a crazy long thing, but he also started near the end of when I was there. He may have continued after, but basically the whole idea was that he he would send these emails out at the end of the day and would would present the results. Then he would say, "Oh, it turns out A and B were the same," but I think the reason why is because like I think I think the reason why the majority picked A is because the results were visible. So next time I'm going to try to blind that and 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 basically do these blind polls maybe. Um, and then there were other times where he did an experiment where he, he wouldn't ask which is better. He would say, do you think they're the same? People were eating cookies that were the same and couldn't tell that they were the same cookie. Well, it's because it, it can be difficult. It, it can be difficult to tell. And especially when when the difference is something subtle, like, I don't know, maybe he put a teaspoon of salt in one and didn't put salt in the other. So then they're not the same. They're not the same. They're not the same, but it's, it can be difficult to tell once it's baked um, like, have you, have you ever done the Coke Pepsi challenge? Yes. Can you tell the difference between them? Absolutely. <laughs> Without a doubt, I can tell the difference. Only idiots can't tell the difference. I failed. Between, <laughs> you couldn't tell the difference between Coke and Pepsi. Dude, in my head, in my head, I, I, I'm pretty damn confident that I can tell the difference between Coke and Pepsi. Yeah. There's something about like the way the sugar feels on my teeth after I drink a Pepsi that I don't necessarily feel after I drink a Coke, or at least it's different. And one I thought, tastes great and one tastes like absolute garbage. I, th I thought, like I was absolutely convinced. I, so I did it when I was in Orlando with my older brothers, with Mohammed and Mustafa uh, a few years ago. We did a, a, a Hammond, uh, I guess the older Hammond siblings vacation or whatever you want to call it. And 
we were at a store and the conversation came up because most of it works at the Nielsen company. And he was talking about how they'd done it at work. And Mohammed's like, oh, I could tell the difference easily. And I'll, I've, of course, did the same thing because I was convinced that, that I could. And so we had like three cups, I guess, something like that. I don't know. And, and we tried, you know, each one. And could you tell which one's like Coke, which one's Pepsi? Right. And I think when just when you're doing them back to back, you take a sip of one, you're like, oh, that one's Coke, right? And you take a sip of another one, you're like, that one's different than the first one. But holy shit, that tastes like Coke too. And I was like, oh, oh no. man, yeah. And so I'm, then, I was, then it, was, it became a guessing game for me. I don't know what it was, but I just couldn't you do it. You freaked out. You freaked out. <laughs> you panicked. freaked out. <laughs> you panicked. I panicked, dude. You've only been having Coke, like, I don't know, maybe your entire life. Yeah, uh, so you take. let the moment get to you. You let the moment get to you. It's happened to all of us. I'm going to have to try this <laughs> maybe today. Yeah, try uh, it because it's, it can be quite difficult. Like, we just drank them out of styrofoam cups, and Mustafa couldn't tell the difference either. Like, I think he did better than I did, but mm-hmm. I think Muhammad did the best. Like, Muhammad was pretty damn consistent across, tell, very able to tell the difference. But oh, some, so you did it multiple times? Yeah, we did, we did it like three different times. We did three different, um, three different tests. So I think okay. we had like four or five total cups each. Jeez. And so each time, I guess maybe it was four, right? So two Cokes, two Pepsis. And we were supposed to indicate which one we thought was which. A, B, C, D, pick them. And then we did it maybe three total trials. And, okay. and there was never a single trial where I got 100%, right? Wow. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> this is so off topic. Yeah, I don't know how this is it. so off topic. <laughs> uh, so, so anyway, this is like this is going back from the Slack, dude. Actually, yeah. So, yeah, dude made dude made a Slack channel for his cookie test. That was the point right. of that. Uh, and so, oh, yeah, sorry, it, I, didn't know we, I didn't know we had points. It it, <laughs> it would be it would be you're right. It would be nice to get everybody else on, on board with yeah. it. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna shoot out the emails to everyone and be like, hey, you're invited to the Slack channel. You know, did you meet sign anyone up. cool while you're out there? Um, well, yeah. The, the, so there are a few people in my lab that I've met, but very briefly a year ago when I went out for the for the retreat for the Danforth Center. So there are a few postdocs that are that have been that have joined our lab that I met when I was out there for like an hour, maybe. So I was able to kind of connect with these people. We went out to dinner. Um, I think on like Wednesday night of last week. And that was really cool that, you know, just get together, sure. talk about random stuff like, yeah, just oh, tell, life. tell us, yeah, yeah. Tell, talk about life, talk about like, you know, my fiance, how we got, how we got engaged, talked about my, my proposal. <laughs> he was like, you know, so one of the postdocs in my lab, Alex, he goes, so tell, tell us, tell me your proposal story, which are not, not, not my engagement proposal, my PhD proposal story. Oh, that's funny. And basically how, yeah, I know, I realized how that could, how that could come across, yeah. right? Um, and, and basically tell me, cause I, I think I've told the story on the podcast before, but basically I'm, I'm given this presentation or I made this presentation and then like an hour or two beforehand, one of my committee members goes, wait, why is your presentation going to be so long? Like you should be speaking to us for about 15 minutes about your project and the rest of the time should be us asking you questions. We have already read your proposal. What else do you, do you need to show? And basically, I, I created the proposal in a format that I had created my master's defense, like like a defense presentation, which is a public presentation. So people who haven't read your proposal. So 
I was basically giving almost a lecture is what I had planned it. And he's like, oh, you should have like a slide for this, a slide for this, a slide for that. And then two slides for that. And that's it. Like seven slides total. And yeah, my average had like 40. Yeah. I remember that day. And so I gave this presentation and I was like, I was definitely nervous as hell because I had just modified my slides. Um, yeah. Which, you know, I had been prepping for like days on this whole, this old slide deck that I just deleted. And, yeah. And at the end of it, I remember like after being grilled for like an hour, I remember walking out the room like, oh God, I failed. And I walked back in like, oh, you did great. Good job. Like we only, you know, the only thing we say is that you got to like be a little bit better about these point, particular points that they had grilled me on. I was like, Jesus, like they just really pushed me to the edge. They just pushed me off. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was a wrap. I thought it was over. I thought they were going to tell me like read to redo everything. Right. And, uh. We need so, you to leave the school immediately. Yeah, basically, an embarrassment right. to everybody in the room. It's that that's that's probably why so many people, so many PhDs, have that imposter syndrome. You're, you're sitting there, you're sitting there being grilled so heavily and unable to answer a lot of questions, and you're just like, I don't know, man. I thought I thought what I was doing was cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. I was like, it's dude, not cool. I was like, not cool. <laughs> you sit there, go to your advisor, like, dude, we talked about this every day. What are you hitting me with these questions for? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, dude, thought this we, is, I thought we were on the same time. Dude, on the same side. Week. It's hell week. It basically it's, is. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we just, re- we were really able to connect. It was really good. It was a good time on, uh, on, I think on Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, no, th- it was actually Thursday. Uh, one of our collaborators came over. She was, uh, so basically the, the purpose of the trip was like the, the kind of the reason why the trip came together is because one of our collaborators from uh, Germany, she we, we were talking and she goes, oh, we should um, meet up when I'm in when when I'm in St. Louis for the for the maze meeting, and I was like, actually, I don't live there and I'm actually not going to be attending. And then I found out Yaron was moving to St. Louis, so I was like, all right, well, I can get I can get housing for free. That covers a huge huge cost or a huge yeah. portion of the cost. Um, I don't necessarily have to register because at this point, uh, so for conferences and, and like workshops is generally a, a student discount. So for PhD students, I think the whole, the registration fee was about two, 200, $250. However, if you, that's, if you register in advance at this point, it was like three weeks prior and the, there is no more like discount. So the, the, the price would have been like $650 for me to go. And so I was like, all right, well, here's what I'll do. I'll fly. I can. I, well, here's what I can do. I can fly up. I can spend the week in the lab, and then on uh, the conference, which started on Thursday afternoon and ran till uh, Sunday, Sunday morning. I was like, okay, well, I can go up. I can basically just because I wasn't sure if I'd be able to attend any like the talks or the poster sessions. I just thought, all right, well, I'll be able to go up and meet with the various collaborators that are going to be there because pretty much everyone's going to be there. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how the trip came together. I wasn't, I was originally not planning on going just because of the cost and the time that it would take to do everything. And it just so happened that it, it would work out that I could go and still meet with the people there. So that's why I did it. And so on uh it was actually Wednesday, one of our collaborators from Stanford, she, she came up and we spent the whole day, literally like the whole day talking, uh, in like group meetings, um, mm-hmm. uh, about uh, our grant. So we, we're going to be renewing our grant, applying for a renewal at least. And good luck with that. <laughs> we're talking about like the results that we have, that we have. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. The, the NSF wasn't mentioned in those cuts. So the NSF is, is uh, 
the funding organization. So okay, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully that works. Yeah, right. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, if any, like all, all it really would change is just the competitive, how, how competitive these these uh, awards are. And so would it go from super competitive to uber competitive? Is that what yes, you're saying? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. So it would be a big deal? It would be a big deal. It's still possible to get funding, but it's going to be more difficult. Because they're, because, so basically the way, the way it works, people who don't know, when, you, uh, when, when you're a scientist, when you're a researcher, especially at a university, you apply for, for grants through the, from the government or private institutions. But for the sake, we'll just say from the government, right? So they're generally there they're usually there are, there are about three large funding organizations or the three largest are the nsf national science foundation the nih national institute of health and the department of energy doe and so you apply for grants you basically write this extensive extensive like package so the main the main text is really saying okay i have this idea to study this particular thing and the and these are the experiments that I need to conduct. The reason why I think it's feasible is based off of these previous experiments that were conducted either by us or by other people. And this is why I think these experiments would be able to give us the results that we are interested in. And this is what we're going to, this is how we'll address problems that will inevitably come up. This is how long it's going to take. This is the budget, blah, 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 blah. And so you write this huge package, this huge like document, and you submit it, and this committee will basically look at each each uh, grant proposal that's been written, and they'll decide whether your project will be funded and how much of your budget that you asked for will will they will they provide. So mm-hmm. you might ask for five million dollars, and they might give you uh, five million dollars over five years, and they might give you four million dollars over four years with the option to extend for that fifth year, something like that. Yeah. And these grants are, are pretty competitive because sure, pretty much only so much money going exactly on. pretty much every researcher from from the U.S., especially in your field, is applying for these same grants. There's different areas, so like they have different. You're not going to be competing. Generally, I'm not going to be competing for somebody who uh, or against someone who's studying like viruses or or human cancer or something like that. But I am competing against people who are also doing plant research. So, is the money on a first come first serve basis? It, it there, there's so like how <laughs> they, it can work? be. So I think there are some grants that are kind of first come first serve, but generally they're they're all they all have to be received by a specific deadline, and then they're just judged based on merit. Gotcha. They'll there's there's going to be a committee of like it, it depends on how many people, but we'll just say a, um, a committee of like three to five people, and maybe. One person will read your package first. Another person will read through it. And then if both of those people said that they don't think that your project is high priority, they'll just toss it at that point. And they won't bother considering it. Um, if two of the three people think it's high priority and one person thinks it's not, they, it'll, it'll still be passed to the next round of, of uh, review. And they'll kind of rank that compared to, they'll rank that compared to all the other packages that they think are, are high enough priority that should be considered. And then they'll kind of rank those. I don't know if they necessarily do one to, to whatever, one to like first to last, but they'll they'll say that, you know, this is highest priority and this is lower priority relative to the others and decide whether or not your project will be funded on that on that criteria. Mm-hmm. 
So there's only so much money that goes around. They might have, you know, a few hundred million dollars or a billion dollars or however much money, but yeah. only, only so many projects can be funded. And if, and, sure. and it's a long process. You apply for these grants, but you don't hear back for like four or five, six months. Right. And a lot of times, especially for newer researchers and newer professors, this is their only opportunity or one of very few opportunities to get funding. So for someone who's been around the block for a long, a lot longer, they have, they have grants that are still funding other projects that they can use to pay for their students and pay for lab equipment, things like yeah. that, right? Keep the lights on. However, for newer people, like these grants are really their only opportunity to keep the lights on, to keep these, these students being, uh, you know, on purposes in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. And so there are certainly options and avenues that the college and the departments will, will be able to take in the event that you lose funding, but it generally doesn't get to that level. Um, but yeah, like for, for the NIH, for example, to lose about, I think it's a fifth of their, um, a fifth of, of their, um, their budget under this new proposed budget for the U S that's pretty huge. Yeah. So it's um, massive. Yeah. So NSF wasn't listed specifically in that budget okay. for being cut. So hopefully that won't affect our, our yeah. uh, outlook for this grant. One can only hope. Yeah. So basically we talked about, cause the original grant, I think goes back three years at this point, three, three and a half years. And so okay. various techniques have been, have been developed that can make some of these experiments that we proposed originally, or I shouldn't say we, cause I didn't write that original proposal, but the, we, the collective, we proposed, uh, however long ago. And, we have new results, um, you know, from experiments that we've already conducted that change the the outlook of other experiments that were, that were proposed. Mm-hmm. And there are just um, other things that are that are interesting that we never really considered possible before that we think are possible now. So we spent all day on Wednesday talking about these experiments, what we want, what we would want to do, and if we need to bring any other people on board for the project. Right. So, um, cool. it, it was a really useful meeting. Like, yeah, FaceTime, uh, FaceTime in that regard is always going to be positive. Cause when, like, I, I'll, I'll sort of share a similar experience where before, uh, when I would join the, uh, the team that I'm on now at FanDuel, uh, like the team within FanDuel, like their product team, uh, or the project team that I'm on. Yeah. It was done mostly like you through, uh, like hangouts. Um, and it's tough to develop a rapport with people when you're only ever seeing them through a hangout window. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so it's just hard to develop, you know, trust and communication and learning about each other and sort of developing a, a, a deeper level of like understanding of each other just so, you know, projects can run more smoothly. So whenever I go to Edinburgh, uh, it's always really important to be able to spend time, like FaceTime with people. Just be like, hey, I'm a real person, you're a real person, let's get to know each other, like, let's sort of re-up on on that aspect of the, of the team. Because yep. you'll only be more effective when you when you see each other and you can empathize with people more. Yeah. Totally, totally understand that. Yeah, and and, and even for me, just inter- as, a, as a young scientist, being able to participate in this particular meeting where a lot of the stuff is going over my head, but I think a lot, some of the stuff is also going over the, uh, the, the, the PIs, the, 
the two professors heads as well. When I talk about some, like some computational stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and, and to see, and to, I, I, I think the really, the, the really cool thing is to kind of see my progress over time. Like if I was in this meeting four years ago, I don't know if I would have grasped anything, but I was right. able to I, like it relating to all this biological uh, experiments. I was able to follow them. Even if I didn't necessarily understand how they would be conducted, I was able to understand the importance of them. Yeah. And it, it's like when I, again, mentioned earlier, the imposter syndrome, like for years, I just didn't feel like I, I feel like I've kind of faked my way into this group. Sure. But, but to actually, to actually follow what the heck that people are talking about in this room. It's massive. Yeah. Yeah. It's a massive feeling of accomplishment. Yeah, I don't want to say like my ego's blown up and be like, oh, I grasp everything. Like, oh, I finally feel like I belong. But to, but, but to, to really follow these conversations, to contribute, to have input and, and to say, well, you know, I don't know if I agree with that for this particular reason for XYZ. It's a big thing for me. Oh, yeah. So that felt really good. And it's such a progress and a sense yeah, of growth. Yeah. And, 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 and again, just to like see this whole prog, like to see this, to see this type of meeting to participate and see how they go about doing such things and why yeah. they're doing such things is really big. One of the things that they were saying, like th- this is something that I feel like needs to be done more often, like these types of meeting, but as early as we did them, they were both saying this might be the earliest that they've had a, a meeting like this because uh, you mean like early within like uh, the, the process. Yeah. Because you don't have to, we, we, we don't necessarily have to write a, we don't necessarily have to write a grant for another like, six six to nine months maybe yeah it's really early and but but i think it's a great idea to get all the stuff down on paper oh yeah you know now think, i just think of it as a kickoff meeting yeah exactly because a lot of times this stuff happens meeting. yeah yeah a lot of times these people are doing like this last minute frantic writing the oh, night God. the night before a grant is due and like of course they've had these types of meetings before that before that day but to really get this to really get this on paper, to figure out that we're all on the same page and really just like at, in terms of, in terms of like the work that we've done beforehand to see, oh, you know, they've been unhappy or this is what they're happy with. This is what they are unhappy with. And right. for them to see, this is what we're happy with from your side, but this is what we're unhappy with on your side as well. And to really get that on the table and say, okay, well, how do, how do you want to change that in the future? Like that was, that was huge for I me, mean, for me to see like, especially the things that they were unhappy with, like they're, they like some of the data that we've presented, but from my end, they, they've been unhappy with like some of the, um, the time, like when I send them or what I, what I send them, there's a lot of data that I'm working with. And I, I like, I like to put things together in this large package and say, okay, basically give them a book, right? I'm, in general, I'm trying to tell them a story and this is the data that I have. And this is how I've analyzed that data. And this is the full story. Here you go. But that takes time to do, right? So what they're, what they would like to see is say, give me chapters. So you're, this is, this is one analysis. I know you're working on it to like say, say 10 different analyses, but when you finish one, I'd like to see the, that those results, even if it's yeah. not telling me the full story, because they can at least work with something with some of that. And right. even if it's not necessary to them, whatever, at least they still have it. So I think I see that as more of like the way books are published. It's you don't send the full manuscript over when you're done. You you have deadlines for drafts of chapters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just like this is just the analogy, but yeah, like that's kind of the general idea. It's like all right, you worked right. on you've worked on one thing, 
and you finished it or you you have at least are capable of putting it into a form that is that is that is comprehensible by everyone else well you know send it off to them that's kind of what exactly. i'm working with now so yeah because it would otherwise it's just it, from a time perspective it's it's cost prohibitive to wait for the entire thing to come through yeah and then if they have a question or if they wanted to you know potentially make a change about something you've already done everything and you're months later and it's like well this is yeah this is not the ideal way to work yeah you need, it's like it's like just ask i guess the ask is just to be more agile yep yeah uh and then uh so so anyway we'll fast forward to the meeting the meeting was uh again thursday to sunday on thursday i was originally going to go in but i actually had a phone interview for a uh for a potential postdoc um position nice I'm not going to go into details at this point since so we're so far into this episode already, and I know we got you have uh, you got somewhere to be later. So, for the sake of this, of the listeners, the interview went well. I'm not sure I will proceed with the uh, progress. I'm going to be talking to my advisor about that soon, but interview went well. Um, then I went to the meeting on I think Friday and Saturday to the poster sessions because again, I wasn't registered. I could have gone in. Apparently they weren't checking the badges very thoroughly. So I could have even attended the talks, but I just went to the poster sessions. I checked out a lot of the posters, especially Friday. I went in, the poster session went from, I think 1.30 to five and the same on Saturday. And the poster wow. session, basically people create these like massive posters. I don't know, we'll just say yeah. three feet by four feet posters. And they show their work. They basically say, "This is the you know, this is the introduction. This is what what." Is I'm it the old on. school like uh, poster boards in science fair? No, no, not the trifold. It's straight up like a like a like. Well, I yeah yeah yeah. Like if if it's it's just like a flat piece of poster. Yeah, basically yeah. not a trifold, but yeah. Right. And so people are saying, you know, this is the title of the poster. This is what they're working on. This is the introduction. Here's some data. These are the results. This is the conclusion. Here's what I want to do in the future. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Here's some here's some figures and whatever. And so I went around and I found a bunch of people's posters that are working on things that are similar to me, to mine, to my work. I, I was able to meet up with the, the, the researcher that I spent some time with at Ohio State a few years ago. This is before the Stone Cold Silver podcast, but you know about it. Yeah. And so I spoke with him for a bit and he was like, oh, dude, you'd be like the perfect postdoc for my lab. And I was like, all I have to do is convince my fiance to move to Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, that was really cool. And I just got to, t- I got to meet and talk with a lot of people. And the funny thing is the person that I was supposed to meet with never got, never got to meet up with her. So, so we're working on scheduling a Skype interview. We should be meeting on Skype this week. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. So it was really good. Like that, that day was great. I lost track of time and I was a little upset that, that at five o'clock I had to leave because I was having a lot of great conversations with people. I was texting your throughout and I was like, dude, it's four 30. And I've only made it through maybe a quarter of the posters that are here. Jesus. So the next day I went. The next day, I think a lot of people were, were really worn out from, a lot, from all the talks and all, maybe the, all the drinking. Yeah. <laughs> and so there were a lot, a lot fewer people there on Saturday afternoon than there were on Friday. It was still a pretty packed room, but it was it was much quieter. And there were a, like I didn't I didn't recognize a lot of the people that that I had spoke to or met the day before. So I checked out a bunch of the posters. I didn't talk to it as many people the next day, but I probably spent a good two to two and a half hours there that day. Successful trip. Yeah, it was it was a great trip. Um, the meeting was great. The, the spending the week at the Danforth Center was fantastic. Um, I really liked that. Spending time with Iran was good. 
um, you know, seeing him, seeing him that he, seeing that he's doing he's doing okay out in St. Louis, you know. Yeah. He was there. This is he's been there now. I think for uh, at the time officially for one full month, and he's already making friends, which was good. Uh, we saw yeah. Logan on Sunday, which all I'll say was I loved it. Great movie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, really happy, really happy with the trip. I, I would definitely, I would definitely like to go back again if possible. I'm not sure it will be possible before I leave, but yeah, I, I'd like to do it if I can. While you were in. St. Louis, I was in San Francisco, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, reason number two why episode, why episode 117 was was pre-recorded. Yeah, no, San Francisco was great. Um, I went out there because uh, my good friend Nicole was going to be out there. And we decided just to take the weekend. And the weather out there was phenomenal. It was 66 every day. Uh, no rain. I know that California has been getting a ton of rain recently. No rain at all. And we didn't really have the most set agenda. Uh, we just wanted to, I guess, relax. I think we both had had uh, pretty intense schedules up until that point. And this was just a way for, for both of us to just sort of unwind. Um, we ate some really phenomenal meals. Uh, I also got to meet up with uh, my good friend Julia out there who's continuing to convince me to move out to San Francisco. I will say that a lot of the points she made this time around uh, <laughs> stuck. Um, so I'm not saying I will move. But I'm saying I am more strongly considering that as a major next step in my life. Uh, but it, it would have to be for the right opportunity. I see. Um, yeah, it's just I like the weather, obviously. I like being on the West Coast. Uh, I like how active people are out there. However, I don't like the pace at which that city moves. Uh, a little too slow for my taste. It also might have been because it was the weekend. But getting a cup of coffee felt like pulling teeth. Um, really? It was taking forever to get coffees done. Oh, God. And people want to ask me about my day. And my sort of response is, I don't even care how my day is going. I tell you, my <laughs> cup of coffee. Um, New York City living. Yeah, just get be get busy living or get busy dying. Um, but there was a story on, on uh, one of Bill Burr's podcasts where he was talking about how he was down south, and uh, I, don't, I don't know if you still listen to the podcast, but he was no, basically it's been saying like months. He he was basically saying he went to the post office for something, and there was a dude in front of him, and he's like, "There's no one else in the post office. There's one person in front of him," and the teller ends up talking to him for like five minutes. And he's like telling this, or he like they're talking to each other, and he's like, you know what? I didn't even get mad, and I was like, damn, dude, you got so much. Like, if I got somewhere to be, I'm probably just tapping my foot, looking at my watch, looking at my phone, like, wrap it up, dude. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, that it, happened to me when I was in uh, in Denver. I had to go get something shipped via USPS. Yeah. And I went there super early before the day started for most people, and. Just so happened, one person was in front of me, and they must have been friends because they were chatting for a minute. And I'm just sitting there like, "You gotta be kidding me!" Like we're we're really having a conversation at the post office right now. Yeah. Um. But yeah, obviously I have very little patience, uh, and that's just from <laughs> how's years. Your, how's your day? Bitch, I got time for this. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't. What day? This? Um. You want to know how this is going right now? I can tell you it's not going well. Uh. But you thought you were gonna get a tip. Nah. Yeah. But it was a 
I mean, overall, it was great. And we got a very nice rate at this, at the Intercontinental Hotel, which was at the top of Knob Hill. And we were able to walk around, go to all these parks, we did a little bit of hiking, and flew back. Yeah, I landed uh, on Sunday at 11.30, and I got home and I went right to work. Perfect weekend getaway. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciated being out in San Francisco while the East Coast was getting hit with, like, snow and freezing temperatures. Right. Yeah, it hasn't, yeah. Been, hasn't been too kind to us. Yeah. Oh, also, I was told that dating in San Francisco is really tough. Uh, a, because there's so many more guys than there are girls. Yeah. Uh, and B, because a lot of people, men especially, are emotionally stunted out there. Ah, you told uh, me, didn't that happen last, like, or didn't you tell me about that when I was in Seattle? So, like, a year and a half ago? Maybe. Well, I'll, I'll just say that that point uh, has remained unchanged. Um, and, I mean, I know I told you the story of, like, people going to dinner, like, not dressed well or dressed appropriately. Yes, yes, that's what I remember. Yeah. Uh, there's that. Uh, I didn't see too much of that because we went to some pretty nice places uh, for dinner. Uh and Nicole and I dressing up is really not like a a big deal, and B, dressing up in New York is much different than say dressing up anywhere else because I feel like anywhere else you just put on black and you're considered like really dressing up for the evening. So like a black like sweater, like a light black sweater or something. Yeah, like she was wearing she was wearing black on black. I was wearing black on black. Uh-huh. I was just wearing like a sweater. And people are like, oh man, you guys look very nice to you tonight. I was like, nah, dude, this is just uh, this is just a sweater. Like what? I'm not suited up. Yeah, I'm not suited up. What are you talking about? Um, you paying attention? Uh, but yeah, that would be a big issue. Uh, dating wise, would would sort of have to be something that I would take into a have to take into account. Yeah. Um, I also was told I don't need a car in SF, uh, which is really important uh, because I, I'm not I'm not about that right now. I am not about trying to bring in that expense into my life. Interesting. Yeah. That's really it. I mean, it's good that we're back, uh, back sort of doing it the old way, the old school way, the, the right way. Yeah. Upload on, record on Sunday, upload on Sunday night. I exactly. like that. Current, the, you know, any current events that we want to cover remain current. Um, remain unf- current, yeah. Like yes- yeah, yesterday, unfortunately. Um, the hell am I saying? Um, Chuck Berry passed away. Exactly. Um, Tragic. Yeah. Tragic. Love Chuck Berry. Love him. Absolutely. But uh, but yeah, now that we're back, we'll uh, we'll be speaking to you more from the present, so we don't have to anticipate what things will be going. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, um, I, I gotta run. Yeah, sorry for taking up about forty minutes of the uh. Of the Unacceptable. Time. <laughs> Never again. Yeah, but uh, no, it's it's good to it's good to sort of catch up because I know you and I haven't talked too much in yeah. the time that we've both been out. So right. So yeah, I got I got to run, but what I'll I'll, uh, I'll see you online later. Yeah, sounds good. All right, well I'm Reza. I'm Sandy. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.